My name is Matt Gallagher, and I'm here to inspire you to go bigger with your dreams and goals so you can give bigger with your profits. Welcome to the Go Big to Give Big podcast, where we are challenging six-figure earners to become seven-figure givers. My name is Randy Mullen, and each week, my co-host Steve Arneson and I are interviewing successful entrepreneurs, professional athletes, philanthropists, and other high-performing humans that are inspiring us with their stories. We go deep into uncovering how they have become successful and why generosity is an impact they want to leave on this world. Our mission is to have you leave this podcast wanting to go bigger with your dreams and goals so that you can give bigger with your profits. Let's not waste any more time and jump right into it. All right, today's episode turned out to be one of my favorite episodes to date as we knew very little about our guests coming into the meeting and did our research, but after we did our interview, we instantly fell in love with his mission and purpose in life. Matthew Gallagher is the founder and CEO of the world's largest watch club, Watch Gang, a community of watch lovers that has grown to over 20,000 members in under two years. Gallagher built the company from the ground up, reaching revenues of over $16 million in 16 months, and has now surpassed over $300 million in sales to date. In this episode, we get Matt to share about how he created such a loyal following and how that allowed him to expand his business fast and with such high support. He also shares a story about how he had to make a split-second decision while he was on a live stream to give away six Rolex watches when he only planned to give away one. And he also goes on to share about how growing up in a low-income family really gave him the perspective to want to give more as he made more wealth in his life. Matt is a class act and someone I have truly enjoyed learning from, and I hope you enjoy listening and take some notes from this incredible episode we did with Matt Gallagher and Watch Gang. All right, we are excited to welcome Matt Gallagher to the show today, dude. Thank you so much for joining us. Of course, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to dive into this. We did a little bit of research on you and it sounds like you've created quite the community and you have some incredible stuff that you're working on, had some huge success starting out in what might just be a niche type of topic that we're going to get into. But I would love yeah. you to kind of just start sharing a little bit of how you came up with the concept of Watch Gang. Sure. So I basically, I got my dad's watch when he passed and the truth of it is, is that I gifted it to him years prior and then I got it back when he died. And when I got it, I was, I was doing advertising for random companies and I had been wanting to start my own thing, build my own business up. And I remember a few months, maybe five months after my dad died, I'm sitting at my desk wearing his watch and I'm like, wonder, wonder like if I could build something based around watches in general. And I had always been fascinated with the subscription businesses, like the recurring business models. And uh, yeah, like what about like a watch club where people get a watch every month and I do some giving component where I'm like doing a giveaway every month. I give away like a Rolex to one of my customers and I start the way that I always do when I have a business idea, I go straight to Namecheap. I start looking for domain names. I, I probably have four dozen domain names <laughs> that I'm just sitting on waiting for the right moment nice. and I typed in like watch club and then watch gang and it was available.com. And then all the extensions were available and the Instagram was available. I'm like, this is a sign. So <laughs> I registered all that. And I literally just started putting up like a watch based Instagram posts. 
I, that day I went and built my website on a platform called Create Joy. And yeah, like within the same day it was up and the next day I'm like, all right, let's, let's compound on this a little bit. And I, I got a sale without spending a dollar on advertising from somebody that happened to see a hashtag. They saw the Instagram account, clicked the link in the bio and signed up a guy named Corey Johnson. And I was blown away because that had never happened to me before. I've done this a lot. I spend advertising dollars. I see if it has legs or not. And this thing just, it got a sale and I'm like, all right, let's put some ads behind it. And so I spent like 10, 20 bucks a day on Facebook ads. And this is back when it was a lot easier to get sales <laughs> on Facebook <laughs> and sales were rolling in low CAC. And uh, at the end of the week, I had like 300 subscribers and I had to turn it off because I didn't even have watches to sell people yet. So I'm like, all right, I've got, and I had at least the luxury of time because I wasn't supposed to ship for about three and a half weeks. So I'm like, let's spend the next three and a half weeks building a business for the customers I've already sold to. So I went and designed packaging and sourced products. And I bought all these watches literally from Amazon. I went to Amazon. I searched based on the preferences that people gave me that they wanted. I'm like, all right, I'm going to curate these watches for them and shipped them off to customers with a handwritten note, thanking them for like taking a chance on the business and all this. And the feedback that I got was that, Hey, I Googled my watch and I paid you $29 and it's on Amazon for $25. And I'm like, well, yeah, how am I supposed to profit? <laughs> and of course, of course it's less. There's a curation fee. They didn't care about that at all. <laughs> they, they're like, I, I'll just go buy my own watch then. So that's when like light bulb moment went off for me. And I'm like, I bet I can partner with brands that will give me watches at a wholesale price where I can then pass the savings onto a customer. I make some profit. They're getting a watch that they like and that is worth more than they paid. And that's where everything just kind of took off. Dude, that's so cool. I love that you like sold so much to begin with before even having your product sell. And that's something that so many people struggle with along the way. Yeah. And then, and I believe you went on to do like $16 million in, in sales in your first year, year and a bit, year and a half, which is yeah. absolutely phenomenal for, for just yeah. coming up with the concept. Did you always have like a gut feeling as you were building that this had potential to be something that was pretty big and a huge community, or were you kind of just seeing where the legs went and how, it, how it grew organically? When I started it, my goal was to do like $5 million in sales and then sell it and then move on to the next thing. And I blew past that so quickly that I'm like, well, let's see what else there is. Let's, and I was just hiring my friends to come help me. Okay. You run customer service, <laughs> you run fulfillment, you do that. And so I hired all my friends and now we're all sitting in my garage working, packing boxes and calling watch companies. And I'm like, this is fun. I like this hustle. Got an office, kept growing from there. And then we just, yeah, we just kept going. And by the end of the first year, I think it was, yeah, 16 months, $16 million was what we did. Easy. And we did like, uh, yeah, in the first year we did like 12 or 13 million. And I was, I was talking to some friends in the industry and they're just like, that's bonkers. Nobody does that. This is, this is a lot of revenue. And even like VC backed companies, they'll spend the first year just building their MVP and hopefully getting like hundred K a month in annual revenue or in ARR. Right. And we blew through that so quickly. And it's funny because looking back now, I, so I, we've never taken like any institutional investment or anything like that. And I tried, I was doing like the rounds in San Francisco, meeting with VCs, like big guys, and I never closed the deal. And I'm looking back, I know now if I had done 1 million my first year and then two and then four and then eight, I would have gotten blown up with, with offers, right? Because I'm doubling every year, but because I did 13 my first year and then I did 25 my second year and then 35, like 
it wasn't exciting for them because they're like, oh, well, you're not doubling anymore. Even though the, the amount of revenue was so much more than other companies at my age. So it's, uh, if I would do this again, I would like pump the brakes and I would just like go a lot slower because a lot of what we did was stressful because we're like trying to build the car while we're like driving it down the highway. It sounds like you were kind of creating, like looking back to do it again, you'd almost create a dam of like, you're sitting on something good. Let's yeah. kind of build a blockade a little bit, squirt some out when we need to yeah. and let like the floodgates open at that particular yeah. point. Like if you were to go and rebuild a new business, maybe it's on, I don't know, selling F1 memorabilia or something like that. Sure. W- would that be the strategy moving forward then is to kind of find that secret sauce, hold it back a little bit and then kind of leverage that into that VC gamer. I would, so I, I would build the product out a lot better first and then work on customers because what I did was I built like customer base first, right? I was thinking I'll just acquire customers into this idea and I'll figure it out along the way. And I did, and it worked out for me, but a ne- like a company that I would work on next, it would be more, Hey, I'm going to focus on an amazing product first, and then I'll, I'll make it limited. I'll let a certain number of customers come in, then I'll work on it. I'll bring some more in refining this thing instead of just like blasting sales and then like kind of trying to figure it out as we go. There was a, there was a moment where in like month six, I was on my way, like 25,000 subscribers. And so I placed an order a few months prior for, from a watch brand for 25,000 watches. But what I did was I kept hearing feedback from people Eric, Hey, this is fun. I would like some like more expensive watches now. I want some automatic movements and that stuff is always more expensive. So I introduced a second level of our company and so many people subscribed to it and it was three times more expensive than the first one. Mm. So revenue wise, I had those customers that would have equated to 25,000, but I was now having less number of subscribers in that, in the ecosystem because so many people were going to the more expensive one. So by the time these 25,000 watches shipped to me, I only had like 8,000 subscribers in that low tier where those watches were allocated for. And it took me three years to, to sell those watches because I didn't want to keep inundating my customer base with the same watches. Right. So I ended up in a lot of situations like that, like growing pains where I had to get real creative with like where to place things and how to order because the time it takes to order watches that are being built for my company is so long. Like I would approach a brand and be like, I need 10,000 watches that are like sports themed or they're good for like hiking or diving or something. Mm-hmm. And that would be six months it would take. So I have no clue what Facebook is going to be doing to me in six months. If I'm going to be able to like grow to that certain point, or maybe I'll just way outgrow that pace and I'll need to like scramble and find more. So it's been a lot of, a lot of uh, obstacles like that. I mean, I think that's a really great challenge to have growing too fast yeah. for your own good a little bit, but I want to ask you about the relationships with these wash brands like in your early days going through that what was that initial response from the omegas the rolexes etc and then how did we build that relationship to what it is today well um so the the large large brands that we give away we don't have a direct relationship with them they i don't think that rolex would see a lot of value in partnering with us to give away one of their watches they're a very like aspirational brand and i actually had a meeting with tag Hoyer because we give away a tag every Tuesday as well. And I went and met with the CEO of tag in his Swiss office. And it was very surreal to me. And we talked about potentially like doing some partnership and his hiccup around this was 
does it cheapen the brand to give something away? Like if you gift our watch, does that make us look cheap if we're, if we're sponsoring that? And you know, my argument for that is, uh, I don't think so because it's such a valuable gift. It's like, it, it's like a lottery almost like they feel like they won a major prize. We didn't get anywhere officially with them, but we have still given away a tag every Tuesday for five years, a Rolex every Friday. Seiko, we actually have an official partnership with. So there are brands that they do see the value in the huge community we've built. Seiko and Citizen are two large brands around that where they officially like sponsor our giveaway and things like that. Uh, and then really like everybody can name four or five major brands in the watch industry, but there are thousands of watch brands, brands owned by two guys that came up and had this great idea to make like an amazing field watch. And then brands that have just been in their family for a hundred years, brands you never heard of, but they have such an amazing product that they need marketing as well. They need exposure. And we have almost 3 million members where I can just like send an email out and like I can blow somebody's sales up with an email saying, Hey, look at this. Here's why it's awesome. You should check them out. And now that's kind of like where we're at. That's super cool. On that side of you're giving away watches and people are like, that's crazy. Why are you giving away watches? I know building a brand and building a community and just being very loyal to your to your customers and to your business has been a huge part of who you are and why you've created this brand and how it's had so much success. Was that something early on that you're like, hey, this is what I'm committed to. This is how I'm going to scale my brand by supporting my customers, giving back and putting some of the profits back into the company at first. Or is that something where you just kind of, it just fell into place where it just came to and you're like, hey, this is actually a cool concept. I'm going to roll with it. From, from the very beginning, I made it clear that like I was looking out for my customers. I wanted them to have a good experience. This is why I was like, up till three in the morning for the first year, every day, answering customer service emails and talking direct one-on-one. -on -one. I'm like literally answering phone calls. Somebody's like, you know, I got this watch and I don't like it, or I don't understand this thing. And I'm picking up the phone at 3 a.m. I'm answering these calls and I've wanted to know everything about my company. That way, when I teach somebody how to talk to our customer and what to do, like they're doing it in the way that I would, they want it some, I want my voice to be, you know, sort of projected down all the way through every, every employee that I have. And there was one moment where I remember I'm sitting live on camera doing a live Rolex giveaway on a Friday. And I used to do it in a way where we would have this wheel that would spin and it would have the alphabet on it. And the first letter that it would land on would be the first initial of the customer's name. And then the last one or the second spin would be their last name. So if it landed on like AZ, maybe like Adam Z was a bad example. Zeller. AJ. Yes, yeah, true. <laughs> Adam Zeller. And I go look in my database while I'm live on camera. I'm like, okay, A, Adam, Z. And I just pair it. I'm like, okay, we have one Adam Zeller. Congrats, you just won the Rolex. It was like Mon 3. And I'm doing this live giveaway. So I can't, I can't like mess up. I'm live. There are a thousand people watching. And it was ND. Those were the initials that came up. And I spin, I see it. I'm like, great. I go look in our database. And I find somebody that wins. I'm like, congrats, Nate Diaz, whatever, you won the Rolex. And then I, I'm looking, I'm like, oh, there's another ND here. And there's another one. There were six, six customers that were active that had the initials ND. And so while I'm live, I'm having this moment internally where I'm like, what kind of CEO are you here? Are, are you going to backtrack and be like, hey, hey, sorry, everybody, like I messed up. Let's do this again. Where now all these people that are watching that have an ND initial, they're like, oh my God, I won. I'm going to disappoint them and I'm going to look like a cheap ass. So I'm like, nope, what you're going to do is you're going to take the L here. 
You're going to give away six Rolexes to these people and you're going to figure out what you did wrong and fix the system. So now you can like draw one winner, you know, and now I'm going to spend time coding it to where it draws one person and it just appears on, on camera so they can see it and not this wheel that might give away 12 Rolexes. So that day I gave away six Rolexes and it really felt like a line in the sand where people saw me make that decision live and they're like, stand up company. This is a company that cares about their customers. And that's so powerful. Yeah, I think that oftentimes throughout the year, Randy and I will, will, will talk about these moments of like, who do we want to represent ourselves? Like we have a vision of our core values and stuff and who we want to be as leaders of business, but it happens more often than you think where you are faced with that tough internal decision of, am I going to take this short-term loss for the longer-term gain? Or like, what's the, the reputational risk and, and how do things change on a, on a day-to-day? Congratulations for making that that thanks that decision because I think that's huge <laughs> and I'm sure that's one of the one of the primary reasons why you have such a loyal following as well right that the integrity integrity that comes along with it I want to talk to you about sales just real quick over 300 million dollars in sales that's no small accomplishment man congratulations yeah. to that thank as well. you what I have two questions one are you primarily driving the sales like doing a lot of the calls or trainings and then kind of secondary to that like what's been something that has been just uber successful for you and your business through that long journey of $300 million? I have a m- internal marketing team. You know, we do content and Facebook ads and Instagram ads, and we're trying everything. Like we've been, we've been doing this since the beginning and it was a lot easier before. And through the biggest change that we've seen in marketing though, there were always month over month, it would get a little more expensive. And as you scale, everybody knows like it's more expensive, but the iOS 14 update last summer like crushed our marketing in a way that I'd never seen in my 10 years of doing advertising online. It was, it was, it was like insane. And so if people don't know, there was a privacy update with Apple where basically they made it hard for businesses to effectively remarket to you. So you see an ad and then you see another ad of the same company and it kind of like follows you around if you expressed interest or you can say you're not interested and it goes away. They basically made it impossible for us to market effectively. And so our costs went up double, like overnight. And thankfully, because we have recurring business, we were able to spend the next almost year figuring it out. And it just recently kind of stabilized, but our, our CAC is now over two times higher than it was a year ago. And so we had to, we had to like do a lot to figure out how to, how to maneuver through that. And then like, as soon as gas prices, I don't know if it went up in Canada, but in the U S people were paying like seven, $8 a gallon in gas. A lot of our customer base, they feel that and they're not going to buy a watch when they have to pay $7 a gallon in gas. So we saw a lot of stuff happen after COVID that really impacted how we can effectively market. And we're still like every day, like figuring that out. Marketing is the biggest thing that I do as a CEO, which might not be normal. I'm having meetings, but mostly it's marketing. I'm like talking to my marketing team, coming up with strategies figuring out new ways to, to reach customers. Because you're the visionary. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, and it's also that that's the thing that I, that's my favorite part of running a business too. Since I was a kid, I, I remember like marketing on eBay when I was like 13 or 14, I, I had like a dropship idea and I went, I bought a front page ad on eBay for 800 bucks. And I had these pirate swords that I was selling as a teenager (laughs) and dropshipped. I'm like, why that? I don't know. And it actually like, 
back then you could make money. You, you spend a dollar on ads, you're going to get $5 in sales. It was so easy back then. Yeah. <laughs> if I was 10 years older, I would have crushed it as a teenager. <laughs> That's awesome, man. I want to yeah. transition a little bit here into a little bit of the give big component here. And we know you have a pretty big philanthropic bone inside you. And I'd just love to hear, you know, I know you came up in a little bit of low income type families and you're very passionate about freeing the community of drug abuse and homelessness and things like mm. that. What are you doing today or, or maybe even touch even further back? What was the backstory that wanted you to get into philanthropy? And then what are you doing today to expose that? Well, I think because of my background, I've been on both sides of this thing. So I grew up like my parents were drug addicts. We were homeless at points during my childhood. I was in and out of like trailer parks. We literally had to flee several times. I remember waking up in the middle of the night and my parents were like, get in the van and we were like, run off. And like, I never see my house again. Like I had you guys probably don't have it in Canada. There's a show here called Cops and it's very entertaining. And I watched it as a kid. I haven't seen it in a while, but like, that's what my childhood felt like was an episode of Cops. <laughs> and looking back now, I can laugh at that stuff. And thankfully I got out of that and I'm on the other side. And so I almost feel like an obligation to try and help or be inspirational to people that are in those situations, because I had an uncle that was, he was that for me. He was the person that was kind of like, he wasn't involved in, in drugs. He was like a businessman and he would come in and out of my life helping me. And I always looked at that as like, he gave me my first laptop. And then, you know, he, I, we stayed with him for quite a while while my dad was sick. And so I want to be that for people if possible. And so as soon as I was able to, when I started making some money, it would start with like little things. And this might sound stupid, but like, when I, and I still do this, when I go to a, when I park on the street, well, no matter if I'm going to be there for five minutes or an hour, I just fill up the parking meter. That way it, like I leave money on for whoever comes behind me and I'm never going to see the impact of that, right? I'll never see it. But I believe personally, if I'm doing small things like that, at some point, like, okay, maybe somebody's having a shit day and they show up and they don't have to pay for their parking because it's pre-filled and that might help them that, I don't know, that's such a small thing. But when, when I had the ability, I would do it. And honestly, I saw my dad doing that too. Even though we were super poor, my dad would pick up hitchhikers and help take them somewhere. And he would explain to me like, and it's probably a stupid idea to do that with your kids in the car, but he would, he'd like, Hey, they need help. They're on the side of the road. Like let's help them. Or he'll give money to a, a homeless guy. And I remember being a kid asking my dad, like, well, like, what if he's going to spend that on beer? When my dad is like, so what? If he's on the street asking for money, he needs this $10 more than I do. Even though we're living in a trailer, right? We're very poor. And he's like, this guy needs it more than me. And if he wants to spend it on beer so he can sleep tonight, then that's fine because he's on a cold sidewalk. And so that stuff did resonate with me. And it it's how I like to operate today. And that's why we have charitable initiatives with my company. That's why I teach my kids to give. And I like, I'll go to, do you want me to get into details about stuff that we do or? Yeah, by all means, fire away. Okay. This is, I love the mindset that you're, you're talking about right now. So if it's deeper into that, so I guess. And yeah. So we, we partner with a lot of different charities, a lot of like veteran based charities and then homeless charities. And one of them partnered with this charity in downtown LA, right in the middle of what's called Skid Row in Los Angeles, which is like the worst homeless popular, or not the worst, but like it's the worst impacted by homelessness, I guess, in the country, maybe in the world. And I went there 
met with this guy. We walked through Skid Row together, talking to the homeless people on the street, trying to get an understanding of like how they live. And what I saw was like a very interesting community in Skid Row. Like everybody knows each other, nonviolent people, but you can tell like these are probably people that are addicted to drugs or they have mental problems. And that's unfortunately the reality of most people that end up on the street. And so I got a better understanding of that. I help a charity called My Friend's Place, which is like homeless youth. They help house kids that are homeless in LA. And so whenever we do a charitable initiative, we try to raise money for foundations like that. I try to go and like understand in person how we can help more. And then randomly, like if there's a natural disaster, I think back in 2017, Hurricane Katrina, not Katrina, Harvey, it hit Houston, Texas, and it flooded people's homes. They were like, people were out on the street. And I'm like, you know what? Even though we're just selling watches, we're not really changing the world, helping people like this. Let's raise money for this. And I sent out an email to my whole community and I'm like, this is what's happening in Houston. By the way, if you're in Houston, you got a separate email that like lists all the medical phone numbers and like area, like things that could help you. We raised 50 grand from our community and I went to Houston with that money and I helped clean up people's flooded homes. And I was handing out like Home Depot and Lowe's gift cards for them to buy stuff that's going to help them or like pay for a contractor to come in and clean up their house. And I was there for a couple of days doing that. And it was, I mean, it was very impactful for me, but I also saw the faces of people that I'm helping and it made me feel good. And something that's all I've always struggled with in helping is publicizing it because I used to be a person that's very cynical of a company that helps and then says, look what we did. So I try now to look at it as does this inspire other people to help? And if it does, then I'll publicize it. If it doesn't, I keep it private because I still have that in me where I don't like, I'll never give money to a homeless guy and film it and post it to Instagram. That's just not who I am. Dude, I think that's really special. And I'm sure it was an incredible experience for yourself as well to be able to witness the impact that those gift cards or that money to, to a family who can hire a contractor. It's life-changing for a lot of people, especially in those circumstances. Yeah. So props to you and in your business. And I, I think that's a really cool way to do it as well. It's always tough finding that line of how much do we promote the, the give big aspect yeah. on things. And then when does it become too like markety yeah. and almost like you're almost sleazing the aspect of that particular yeah. point. It's definitely a tough balance to walk, but it sounds like you found a, a nice little niche in, in how that's created. Yeah. Was there turbulence through that or have you gone like pendulum a little bit? And been too far on talking about donation aspect and the charitable components and been like, ah, that's too far or, or vice versa. No, if anything, I'm always hearing like, why are you not promoting this? Why are you not talking about it? I had a publicist before that was like, we should be telling all news outlets what you're doing. And I'm like, no, don't want to do that. I don't want this to be like a thing where like, look how virtuous we are. I didn't want to, looking back, I probably could have done that. And maybe it would have inspired other business leaders to do something similar with their companies. So I do struggle with that, thinking that, hey, maybe if I push somebody to go do something charitable, it was it was effective. But just I I have a hard time saying, like, look what we're doing. So I'm finding my way through that still. You think that, you know, after that experience or even through that or or perhaps before, do you think you put more emphasis on the success of your business or maybe the profitability of your business when you know it can have that type of impact? What do you mean? Like Having that experience where you raise $50,000 from your community and we're boots on the ground in mm -hmm. Texas to, to be able to support people, that's a, that's a 
what I would consider a life-changing experience to be able to help those type of people in those types of moments where they're probably yeah. their most vulnerable they've ever been. And same on get real kind of thing. Did you have a new motivation or or inspiration going back to your business being like, you know what, I need to do this more. I'm going to yeah. I'm, I'm more fired up. I'm more fueled up. I'm more ambitious to scale. Is that something that you experienced? Yeah, absolutely. Because I saw how I could help based on the growth that I was having. And when I was when I was poor, I couldn't help really. I could do what my dad did and give a random five or 10 bucks to somebody, but at scale, I couldn't do anything. And I saw my success as like, hey, this is how you do it. This is how you help. And I feel obligated to, honestly. And some people don't, and that's okay. But because of where I came from, like I know how hard it is to be in those situations. I know what it feels like to be hungry or to not have heat. And I don't want people to go through that if they, you know, and if everybody helps, we can kind of help eliminate that. There will always be homelessness. There will always be poverty, but the more people helping, the better. That's awesome, man. And inside your business, you run something called Grails for Good. And, and that's something that was an initiative you brought in. I'm assuming that kind of came from when you raised some of that money originally to go some, some of that disaster relief and trying to find ways of how you can add giving components into your business that work with your community and stuff. Is that where Grails for Good came from? And what is it What is it, and how does it operate? And what are you doing now with it? Yeah, that is where it came from. And Grails for Good is basically, Grail is a Grail watch. So a very expensive, it's like their holy grail piece. And that's where the word comes from. So Omegas, Rolexes, Brightlings, things like that. And we, we procure these watches and we put them up for what's called Grails for Good, which is literally, it's a charitable sweepstakes where we determine a charity that benefits from those donations. So one person wins the watch and the money that was raised helps support like my friend's place is one that we've done the last two for, and we'll raise $10,000 for them in one week. And for a company doing the revenue that I'm doing, it doesn't sound like very much, but we're doing that kind of stuff all the time. And for that charity, it's so impactful. They just get 10 grand randomly. Like it's a small little foundation that, and with that money, they can probably help a thousand homeless kids extra, just feeding them an extra two, three meals, housing them an extra night or two. Like it's a big deal. So we're trying to constantly help, I guess, charities that are smaller that we can see a direct impact. I could go donate the 10 grand to the Red Cross. I don't think that I'm going to see the real benefit from that. Like I want to see the impact that my dollars have on the charity I donate to. That's cool. Are you sharing those experiences with your members somehow when you're doing these giving things and going out and being boots on the ground? Are you sending that out to your members, letting them know what their dollars are doing or the impacts they're having? Or is it just, hey, here's the donation and here's what we did? We don't, we still don't publicize it too much, but like the people that donated, they'll, they'll get a video of me talking to them about what that did, but I tend to not send it to the broader community yeah. because then I have that allergic feeling that I often get. Yeah. And the reason I wanted to get to that is, do you think that's building you a stronger, loyal base of community when you do this giving, you know, the people that are already members that are donating to it, and then they see you give back and they see the good they're doing, and they've seen you give away watches when it costs your company money and things like that. Do you think that just adds another layer of commitment and loyalty from those members to maybe keep them on longer term or want to support the brand more? I think so. I think the majority of people want to do good and they want to help people. And maybe they don't have a business that's doing donations, but if they are part of that, if they're donating money and then they see that collectively it helps and they see actually what that does, then for sure, I, it definitely makes a big difference in loyalty and, and just good feelings all around. I want to share something with you and 
this is more so for you, but also for our listeners, but something that a mentor and, and a past guest, Darren Jacqueline has said to me a couple of different times that I found profound around this conversation of publicizing that kind of stuff or keeping it internal. But he told me that my success is somebody else's miracle. And I thought, mm-hmm. I just had that moment of, oh, damn, like I always had this like this hesitation around sharing some of the good, whether it be successes in the business, successes in my personal life, to giving back components that Randy and I do in business and it's both personal stuff. And then you said earlier in this conversation that talked about your dad and the experience that had younger, giving $10 away to homeless people. And I just think that you never know who it is that you're helping, what that person is going to be coming to five years down the road, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road. It could be the next Elon Musk or could be the next Oprah Winfrey, somebody who's helping millions of different people. And so I just wanted to leave that with you. I like and that. also, isn't that cool? Yeah. Really very concisely describes a feeling that I have about what I'm doing. And I, I like the way that it's put. So that's yours to keep. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> but I want to transition here. And before we jump into our rapid fire giving around, I want you just to brag on your second and just share a story to our listeners about a moment of giving that when you think back on it today, still just brings a tear to your eye or goosebumps to your arms. Okay. This happened, this happened last week. Mm-hmm. And so I always feel like if I can, if I'm in, an, in a situation where I can give somebody usually money that does, that I'm not going to feel the difference if I have it or not. And it makes a huge difference for them. I like to do it. And I had two delivery guys come to my place last week to set something up in my house. And the guy was kind of like, I could just tell, like, I don't know what it was. There was something that I could, I just got the vibe that the guy was down and out. Like he told, he made a comment about his car not working. He had to like ride with his partner or take the bus to the shop or whatever. And anyway, they, they did the thing. And then at the end, I gave him each a hundred bucks as a tip and I, I'm not going to feel that that's on, that's going to leave. I'm not even going to notice that was gone. And I didn't expect the kind of response that I got where I thought he was gonna be like, oh my God, thank you. And that's good. Right? Like, I'm glad he started crying. A grown man started crying in my bedroom after I gave him this. And he was like in shock. He's no, I no. Are you sure? And I gave it and he just stood there and he put his hand in his face or yeah. And he started like weeping and he's like, you have no idea what this is going to do for me. And the thing is that I've been removed from poverty for a good eight years now, but I do remember what that would have felt like maybe for me when I couldn't afford my rent or my car wouldn't start. And I don't even have money to buy a new starter for my car. Right. I haven't been in that situation for a while. So at first I was just like, wow, really hundred bucks gives him that feeling. But then I'm remembering like, fuck, that would have been crazy for me back when I was really in, in that situation. And I almost started crying and I'm like, I'm not going to do that. And then I was like, I pat him on the back. I was like, Hey man, I'm glad it's going to help. I really appreciate this. And they left and I just sat for a second and I really like, I don't know. It was just, he's a grown man and I don't know what brought him to the situation that he's in. I don't know what course or what series of events like led him to that, but I can help some way. And I did, and it was good. And I don't want to tell this story to be honest. Like, I don't like talking about this kind of stuff, but it really does it moves you. And it was like a very surreal moment that I had. And it's weird. I I almost feel like a piece of shit, even being able to be in that position because like, I'm, I'm so far removed from that now. I'm like, do I really deserve that? Like, but why do I get to be here? And this guy cries over his tip. So 
it's something that I know that I'll probably always struggle with because of where I came from. I almost feel like like a fake sometimes, but it's just something that I, you know, I'll I'll get over. <laughs> I'll be fine. Oh man, I can I can just see the impact that had on you and and how special that moment was for you to be able to let that happen. And I think that's one of my favorite things about this podcast is asking that question and giving people that ability to spend two minutes just sharing about a moment. It's like, dude, you didn't go write the biggest check. You wrote way bigger checks. You've done way yeah. bigger things. But a simple yeah. moment of giving someone a hundred dollars and it it probably had a big as big of impact on you as it did with him. Like just from knowing the impact that you got and the feeling you got from seeing him have that emotion. I think that's so special. And I'm grateful that you shared that because that inspired me. And I'm going to go find someone today and give them a few bucks just to see that because it is a, a moment that gets you just like you kind of are now a little emotional, a little like, holy smokes, that little bit to me is huge to somebody else. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much for sharing. And for sure. now, now that we've got you in the mood and we set the ambiance <laughs> here, we're going to, we're going to jump into our giving round. So okay. quick rapid fire questions coming at you hot. You ready for them? Sure. Brag on one charity that you like. My friend's place. What, what's so good about them? They help homeless youth. Perfect. Hey, every charity helps somebody, but you should choose the ones that really speak to you. That one speaks to me. That was a person. What would get you more excited? Donating a $1 million check or spending a week physically helping a charity like that? Spending time helping hands-on. That's awesome. Who inspires you with their giving? I don't want to say this, but I guess it's just the one that I know that comes to the top of my head is Elon Musk. I don't think he's seen as such a charitable person, but like when, was it UNICEF or some major company it was like $6 billion will end world hunger. He's I'm in, I'll do it. I'll pay. Give me the plan. I'll give you $6 billion. I'm like, holy crap. That's somebody at least that's putting their money in a good place. And if there's a good plan behind it, he'll do it. So I can't fault the guy for that. Genuinely think that he has good intentions. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it feels like his heart's in the right place a lot of times. I mean, everybody has their faults, right? But I don't see anybody else writing a $6 billion check to end world hunger. And he's, I'll do it alone. Yeah. He's not even, he's not even saying, Hey, other billionaires, let's go in together. So there's something to that. So do you think that businesses should start giving from day one as a part of a line item or after they've seen a little bit of success and have some money in the bank? Most businesses do it because it's a write-off on their taxes. They get to discount their profit by giving, and then it's like a win-win. We give every year, regardless of profitability. If we're in the hole, we're still giving. I, I think that if you can make it a line item, like you'll get it back. Beauty. What do you think of when you hear go big to give big? I think it's a really good name for what you guys are doing. It, it accurately describes, because my first thought is, okay, it seems like it means you want to have success so you can give back to people. So it, it makes total sense. It's, it's working. Catchy, catchy. Good job, guys. In one word, describe the feeling you get when you give. Moved. Mm. Moved. Nice. Like it's a new one. Love that. And the final question we ask all of our guests, do you believe that money can buy you happiness? It's close. <laughs> <laughs> I've been very poor and now I'm not. And I, I think money gives you the ability it takes away the things that make you unhappy. That's for sure. I know very rich people that are very unhappy, but when you don't have to worry about paying your rent or if your card is going to decline when you're buying food at the grocery store, it's a really good feeling. And it also challenged a lot of people that $100 you gave away probably made you pretty happy and it was only $100. That's true. That's true. 100 bucks. It's not a bad spot to be in when you can 
yeah. buy your happiness with a hundred bucks and, and have the feeling that you had. Absolutely. That's awesome, man. Well, look, Matthew, thank you so much for coming on the show, dude. We absolutely have loved having you on and hearing you share about your Go Big to Give Big story. And I just want to give you a few seconds to just brag on yourself. Where can people find you? Where can people learn about the Watch Gang? Things like that. Thank you guys for having me on. It was really great. And I appreciate what you guys are doing. I think the mission is important and I love what you guys are, what you're doing here. So you could follow us on Instagram. We're Watch Gang. And me personally, I am M-A-T-T-O-M-I-C. Matomic on Instagram and we are watchgang.com. Beautiful, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on and hanging out with us for a little bit and sharing your story. Absolutely inspired. Thank by you it. guys. Really appreciate it. Awesome, man. And just one more bonus question. What's the best watch in the world? Rolex Daytona. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Thanks so much. Thank you guys. Thank you for listening to the show. If you know someone who's an example of go big to get big, we would love if you could share this with them. We want to get our message out to as many listeners as we can, and it all starts by having people like you share it with your friends. Also, if you enjoyed the show, take 30 seconds and give us a five-star review. It's a simple act of giving that is free for you, helps us grow our message, and in return, allows others to find us sooner. And until the next episode, remember, always go bigger with your dreams and goals so you can give bigger with your profit.